nearly 200 years ago, an audacious group of Jesus followers started First Christian Church. Where today, week in and week out, the Word of God is preached, the Lord is worshiped, as we develop into more fully devoted followers of Jesus through growing and serving together, we believe God is calling us to do whatever it takes to further ministry, reach our community, and tell the world. It's time for us to rise up and declare we're committed to do whatever it takes. So the number one question I've been getting of late when it comes to this whole, like, whatever it takes thing that this is, um, is this question. Who do I have to know in order to get one of those long sleeve, whatever it takes, <laughs> T-shirts? Like, where, where are those things been hiding? Um, and it's actually quite easy. All you need is to actually already own a long sleeve gray T-shirt that pretty much matches the whatever it takes T-shirt and you can be just like me, so. Well, I hope you all enjoyed your extra hour of sleep, unless you have children or a puppy and then they don't care. Uh, so you're just, you know, you're kind of basically in the same boat. Uh, but what we've been doing is, uh, with this whole whatever it takes deal is we've been looking at a lot of things and uh, I've met a few of you who are guests today and so uh, this is actually week four and what we've been looking at so we'll get you caught up on some of it uh, but hopefully you can kind of get a sneak peek into some exciting things that uh, we're headed toward as a church uh, as you're kind of discerning where maybe you and church fit into the future of your life. And so if uh, you didn't get one of these on your way in or whatever it takes guidebook if you're newer, make sure you grab one on the way out. I think it'll share a lot more in depth about what it is that we're talking about just kind of uh, a little bit here today, but today we've been uh, taking some notes as we've gone throughout this, and so we're on page 38 here today, if you wanna take some notes along with what we've been talking about, uh, as really what we've been doing is kind of a, a reflection of the last two years of preparation for our elders, our pastors, our staff, that we've been on this journey to seek and prayerfully understand, okay, God, what do you have for us as a church uh, you could say the next chapter in two key areas. One, our becoming a more devoted follower of Jesus Christ in every area and specifically our generosity. And then as a result of that generosity, how is God calling us as a church to use those resources to not just continue doing a lot of the things he's already called us to do, but to do some new things that he has for us in the journey ahead. And so in many ways, as I've been journeying alongside kind of those two threads personally to make sure I guess you could say I'm actually living and leading where I'm you know, encouraging us to go as a congregation. I've prayed a lot about those two things in my own journey, like, okay, God, where's my generosity? And God, what part would you have me to play in helping be a part of the next chapter or the vision of First Christian? And what I discovered as I kind of zeroed in on those two things were that generosity and vision of the church, they weren't actually the things that I needed to pray about the most. Uh, that it, as I focused on, on these two areas, I kind of discovered that in many ways, like, like these things were almost like the windshield, like, like I was staring at the windshield rather than through it as to what it is that God actually wanted me to focus on. And so in many ways, like the idea of generosity or the vision of the church, like that's kind of smashed on the windshield, but through the windshield, I discovered that what God was really stirring within me was a prayer for increased faith. That the road ahead is actually all about faith. 
And I would contend that whatever kind of topic that has your attention in your life, that it might seem like it's the thing, but I would encourage you, it's actually the windshield. Whether, you know, smashed on the windshield of life is trying to figure out how to, you know, maybe, maybe it's parenting or, or marriaging or, or single-dissing, whatever that might be. Or maybe it's a, like a diagnosis or a financial challenge or maybe some other kind of hurdle in your life. That I would contend that whatever that subject is that has your attention that you walked into this room with and you're going to walk out uh, with just as much, that that thing is not the thing. It's, it's the windshield. And then you gotta look through it to say, okay, where's my faith in this? Like, where am I trusting, if we could translate what faith is, where am I trusting that God is the one who provides and will provide in all areas, including this particular one? And so as I realized that this was really the journey, that it was really about a journey of faith that uh, was before me, I, I reached out to a friend of mine in the life of the church who, uh, he, when I first came to town as a youth minister about 20 years ago, he served as one of our youth leaders and uh, was a beloved Sunday school teacher for many years. And I recalled that one of the topics that he often found in the mix was the topic of faith, of the road ahead, and how faith is really this understanding that helps us understand everything else. So I reached out and I said, hey, would you mind just sharing with me you know, some of your Sunday school lessons so that I could just honestly just work through them personally, like devotionally, as I pursue faith in light of the other things that I know that we also have as a church with the whole generosity and vision thing. And um, as I was looking through his notes, the very first verse that he shares that uh, I found super helpful for me that I think is gonna be helpful to us is a, a Hebrews 11.6, and this is his emphasis that he added. It simply says this about faith, that without faith, it is impossible to please him. It's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, must believe that God is God, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And he went on to share in his lesson how this is one of his favorite passages because of this. Like, when we are spurred on to diligently seek God, like, isn't that what we wanna be after? Like, when we diligently seek him, it increases our faith, which we find is pleasing to God. And, and so this would make sense, that this is a journey that we are on, that we are in a season as a church, that we're seeking him, what he's leading us, what he wants us uh, to be about and be after, and this increases our faith which we discover is pleasing to God. And so as we continue on this journey of diligently seeking God for what he has for us, uh, and we look to the scriptures to direct us in this, I think we would be hard-pressed to find a better example uh, of someone who demonstrates faith than the person of Abraham that we find in the very early pages of the Bible. And so I'd invite you to turn with me to the story of Abraham, or at least a portion of it, in Genesis chapter 12, where we'll learn some things about Abraham's journey that will be helpful for ours as well. And so in Genesis chapter 12, we have this situation where Abraham, Abraham uh, goes by Abram at this point, his name would be changed to Abraham later. He's, he's 75 years old, and at this point in his life, you could say he has some relative success. Uh, you could say relative to some worldly standards. He's got, you know, he's got property and he's got land and he's got a bunch of animals, which would be like a big bank account back in those days, having a bunch of animals. But even in the midst of all these earthly things, he's still missing significance. He's still missing this legacy that's gonna live beyond just his earthly life. 
And maybe there's some part of that that you can relate to. Like, you've got some things achieved, but there's kind of this, like, this significance factor, this legacy factor that still kind of you feel like maybe you're waiting for. And so that's where Abraham is at. He's at this point. He's uh, living with his wife, Sarah, uh, in what would be modern-day Iraq. And, and his name, Abram, at the time, it actually means father, uh, or what will be Abraham, which means father of many. And, and almost this, like, almost this like, cruel irony, the fact that his name means father or father of many, uh, he has no children, he has no offspring, he has no descendants at which to pass on any legacy to. And again, when you think about this difference between you know, having some success but not significance, maybe you find yourself there, maybe even maybe missing some level of it, like maybe uh, whether you're 75 and you feel like most of your life has passed you by already and you wonder what significance might be left for you. Or maybe you're as young as 25 and you're just kind of maybe regretting the way that you spent your years immediately following high school or maybe you're 35 and 45 and you look back on the past 35 or 45 years, you're like, man, I'm not really sure what got me here and I'm not really sure what I had to look forward to in the next 35 or 45 years. But as the song goes, uh, if you're not dead, if I'm not dead, God's not done. And we see that in the story of Abraham, even in his uh, added years, if you will. And so we discover Abraham's faith in God uh, through this call that God puts on Abram. Uh, God says this, the Lord says to Abraham, or to Abram, starts with the word, go. God says to Abraham, go. Because when God speaks or God leads, I'll tell you, it's almost always gonna start with this word, that we need to Go, that we've got to realize we are gonna go somewhere, we're gonna go someplace that we have not been. And so for Abraham, the Lord said to go. And where? He says to go from your country, go from your people, and from your father's household to the land. And it's like, okay, what land? Where am I going, Lord? He says, I will show you. I will show you where it is that you will go when I take you there. And I just think about that conversation that would have been the follow-up conversation with Sarah, his wife, that night. Like, he hears this from God, you know, she makes a nice dinner, and he's trying to figure out, okay, how do I break this to you? Like, yeah, uh, honey, that was, that was wonderful. Uh, uh, great dinner, one of the best in a long time. But uh, just as an aside, like all those pots and pans, like you might wanna get those cleaned up and packed up because tomorrow, we're going. Oh, are we? Uh, and, and where might we be going? I don't know, okay, well how long are we gonna be gone? I don't know, uh, and how will we know when we got to the place that it is that we're going? I don't know, um, you know I think this might be the only time in recorded history where a wife asks the husband, do you know where you're going? <laughs> and he actually answers in truthful honesty, I have no idea. <laughs> only God knows where it is that we're going. And so for us, you know, God, he wants to take us somewhere, but it starts in the same way that started with Abraham, like this call to go, like this call to go someplace that we have not been, because when we do that, not knowing where that destination fully is, that really, by kind of example, is obviously faith. It's faith trusting in a future that we cannot see that we trust that God can see on our behalf. Because it's that, it says in Hebrews 11:6, 6, it's, it's faith 
like that that is pleasing to God. And so for Abraham, God says, uh, it's this kind of faith that's gonna lead to a blessed life, that I'm gonna bless you through this step of faith. He goes on to say in Hebrews, or excuse me, in Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abram, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse whoever curses you. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And as you kind of look and you kind of find the word that most shows up in this passage, what do you see? You see, yeah, bless, blessing, blessed. Like, like God is going to bless Abraham as a response to his response of faith in him. And what's interesting is that when God talks about blessing here, he's not like, hey, Abram, like just because you've had faith, like, like this blessing, it's just all about you. Like I'm gonna give you this blessing with a period on it. You know, it's for you to just kind of hoard it and hold it and just kind of keep it to yourself. No, he doesn't do that. He's, he says this blessing is never gonna be a blessing that's just gonna terminate with you, that, it, that God, he always blesses that we would be a conduit of blessing to others. You could say it this way, that we are blessed in order to be a blessing. We are blessed in order to be a blessing. That that plan that God has for Abram, he also has for us. That we are blessed in order to be a blessing. And so we see that this comes through his son Isaac and then his grandson Jacob who is named Israel and then through Israel we get Jesus and through Jesus we get Jesus Church to which then we get to be a part of this legacy. We get to receive the blessings that started with Abraham and to continue as the church. Like our job, our role is to continue to be a conduit, uh, an outpost for hope and healing, a place where we are communicating and living out what Jesus said that we're supposed to be like the city on a hill in our city that shines the light of Jesus until Jesus comes again. Like that is who we are to be as a church. But I think if we're honest, like, and we think about it, like sadly, not everybody sees the church that way. Like not everyone looks at the church and think, oh yeah, they're, they're, they're blessed in order to be a blessing to me or to, to others. Sadly, there's a lot of people who think that the church is kind of this exclusive, narrow club for insiders only, and is not concerned with those who are outside of the church, outside of the faith. And I gotta say, that's why it's so important that when it comes to what it is that we're doing as a church, both in this chapter and the next, that we continue to pursue what it looks like for us to further ministry as a church, to reach our community, and to tell the world, to be a place where others will discover who Jesus is and what it is that he's actually all about. That we would not be a place for self-proclaiming, self-righteous people, but that recognizes what it says in Romans 3.23, that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And that yet, why we were, we were all still sinners, it says in Romans chapter five, verse eight, that yet Christ died for us, even yet, why we were still short of God's standard. That, that our church, that it's to be a place where our friends and our families that are facing questions about circumstances and eternity and challenges, that they can discover that Jesus actually is the answer, like regardless of the question that they're asking. That we can be the kind of church that when people run up against their regrets and their brokenness and their trauma, that it's a place where people can find actual hope and healing that only can come from Jesus. That we would be a place where we're skeptics and agnostics and 
atheists uh, can learn not just John 3.16, that God so loved the world, but what John 3.17 says, that he so loved the world that he came, it says uh, that he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That we would be a place where statistically, when more than half of young people today say that they have zero hope for the future, that we are a place that shows them that they are saved not by any hope that they can conjure up within themselves, but a hope that comes outside of themselves in Jesus alone, a hope that only comes from Jesus, that it saves us by grace, Ephesians 2, eight through 10, so that we can be prepared for a good life, good works that he has prepared in the future for them as well. That we would be a place where those who are struggling with anxiety and depression and struggle, that they can discover, not saying that it's not other things outside of this, but that a key ingredient to all of this is going to be what it says in Philippians 4, 7, a supernatural peace that can only come from the peace of Christ that surpasses the understanding, it says, of this world or anyone in this world. A place where they understand that it's Jesus that ultimately protects our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, as it says in Philippians 4, 8 where people can find an end to loneliness, like actually find genuine community and relationships and friendships that encourage their ultimate friendship with God, their ultimate relationship with the Lord through the relationships that they form in this place, that we would be a place that where there are people who are, when forgotten about in nursing homes and assisted living centers, that even though they can't make it to us, we can make it to them. That we would be a church that reaches out to our friends and family who maybe they were turned off by church, maybe because of something that went down back in 1990, whatever, or 2000 and whenever, that we would be a place, the kind of church that says that yes, this church is for everyone. Why? Because Jesus is for everyone. That we wanna be the kind of church that puts on display what is actually good about the good news. Not just in word, but in deed, in the way that we live, that we recognize that the church is in fact blessed, but in order to be a blessing. That's what Jesus designed for us to be. That's who Jesus calls us to go and represent, that we would be his light in our community and around the world. And we recognize, just like with Abraham, it starts with a bold step. It starts with a bold step of faith that it comes down to really when we think about, am I really putting my faith in God? It really comes down to one simple question. It arguably is the most important question that we will ever ask, and that is, am I truly following God? It really is, at face value, that simple. Am I truly following God, or am I following my own way? Like, like the question is, who is ultimately in charge of your life? And it seems like an easy question, but the more I'm honest with the question, I think at times it's a harder question because I know the answer. I mean, the answer is yes, of course. Like we all want it to be yes. We all say yes. No one's gonna say no to this. But when we actually start to break it down to the specific areas of our life, or I'll speak to me, the specific areas of my life, like if I'm honest, there's some areas where I'm like, am I really following God? Like is God really the one in charge? I mean, I would say in certain areas, like I, I would say I want God to be an influence maybe in that area. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna give him a seat at the table but is he really like at the head of the table? Like is he really in charge? Like he really in the driver's seat of every area of my life? It reminds me of what Pastor Adam shared last week if you were with us, this irony that like the more we stay in charge and hold on to areas of our life, 
Like this irony that the more we hold on to them, the more that we lose them and the less that we allow God. That's the only when we release them to God by seeking first in faith his kingdom that he provides everything we need on the back end, it says in Matthew chapter six. Or maybe you're here for our At The Movies message when we kicked it off with uh, Top Gun Maverick and we kind of raised this kind of question. We said, in your life, is God like your co-pilot? Is he like your wingman? Or is he actually the pilot? Is he the one calling the shots, deciding where you go? He, is he the one who's actually leading your life? Because when we do that in every area of our life, like, like that's faith. That's fully trusting him. That's Hebrews 11.3, that this is pleasing to God. And so as we step out on faith, um, we, in fairness, we have questions. Okay, where, what does it look like to truly follow God? Like, where is this gonna take us? Maybe we feel like Sarah in that conversation with her husband Abraham, like, okay, like, like how far will we go? What's it gonna cost? Like, what's the risk reward here? I kid you not, I was teaching on this. Uh, I was invited to speak at Student Life last week with the high school kids, and this kid raises his hand in the middle of it, and he said, um, when it comes to this, what's the ROI? Oh, the return on investment. He wanted to know what's the return on investment on truly following God. It's a smart kid. Uh, but the answer to that and all these questions is God says, I will show you. I will show you, but I gotta know first. Are you in? Like, are you going to trust me? Are you gonna take God up on his, on his go by going with him? I appreciate the way um, the great theologian of the 16th century, John Calvin, uh, how he commentates on this passage that when he's talking about what God's actually calling Abraham to do, uh, he, he says it this way. He's just basically saying to Abraham, close your eyes and take my hand. Like that's his commentary on this. So when God calls Abraham, he's just simply saying, to close your eyes, to stop looking at all the circumstances, situations, what about this, what about that, to close your eyes and to place your faith, place your hand in his hand and to trust him. That even though you don't have all the details, every I dotted and every T crossed, the question is, am I truly following God? Do I truly trust him? And by putting my hand in his, am I willing to go wherever it is that he goes, wherever it is that he takes me? And so it's a place where we discover our faith takes action. And so I'd ask you, what about you? Are, are you at a place where you're ready to declare to God in that area of your life, whatever that area is, God, I'm gonna take your hand and I'm gonna follow you. And I will trust that you will lead me where it is that you want to go and where you want to go is where I want to go as well. You know, it's interesting when I think about the journey that, that we're on and Abraham's journey, something that I caught studying Abraham kind of again on this faith journey of the last few months that I had not seen before um, actually takes place before the chapter that we're looking at today. In uh, Genesis chapter 11, before chapter 12, uh, Abram, he's actually on a journey already, but he's with his dad, Terah. And so Terah has taken Abram and the extended family, and they're actually on a journey to the promised land. It says it this way. Um, so Abram with his dad, it says that together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. And so Canaan is where the promised land is, uh, but if you know the story that they don't make it to there yet, it's not for centuries later under Moses and Joshua that they see the promised land, but they're headed to Canaan, but it says that they stop halfway. It goes on to say that 
But when they came to Haran, it says that they, we don't know why, we don't know kind of the circumstances, but they just stopped. They, they quit halfway, and what does it say? They, they settled. They settled there. And I just wonder if there's someone listening here today that that just kind of represents where maybe you feel like you're at in your journey with God. Like, like you started off strong, like you, you were, you're following hard after Jesus, but somewhere along the way, you just kind of, you just kind of got stuck. You just kind of stalled out. Uh, and don't get me wrong, it happens to all of us. You know, we just get to going and then we just kind of get comfortable or maybe apathetic or just kind of like a kind of whatever about our faith journey. And we just find ourselves having settled. You see, the call here for us as individuals that makes up collectively as a church is to not settle, is to not stay settled and to truly ask the question, am I truly following God? Am I truly putting my hand in his and trusting where he's taking me? Because that is faith. It's the kind of faith that changes us. It's the kind of faith that God works through us. It's the kind of faith that changes our community and the world. That's the way that Jesus designed it. You know, as I think about this kind of answer and this kind of faith, I'm reminded of uh, these missionaries. About 100 years ago, there were these missionaries that were called one-way missionaries. And the reason that they were called that is because they literally uh, would buy a one-way ticket, um, and instead of packing a suitcase with their belongings, they would actually pack a coffin. They would pack a coffin with all their earthly belongings and go to wherever it is that God called them because they knew that when they said goodbye to their family and friends that they were saying goodbye this side of heaven until they saw them again. And one of those one-way missionaries was a man by the name of A.W. Mills. And he um, was called by God to a specific area in the South Pacific where every other missionary that had gone before him uh, to this particular tribe had been beheaded. And so he feels God's calling and he's a one-way missionary in lots of ways and he's, you know, he's, I mean, he's living out what the Apostle Paul says, where to live is Christ and to die is gain, like to live is to represent Jesus and if I die, like I get to be with Jesus. Like, I, like he had like a no fear, like all my confidence is in Jesus in this life and the next kind of faith and so that's what he did. He, he packed up his coffin with all his earthly belongings and when he got there, he ministered to those people for 35 years. And after 35 years, that tribe, they buried him in the coffin that he brought uh, right in the middle of the village. And on his tombstone, on A.W. Mill's tombstone, read the words, when he came, there was no light. And when he left, there was no darkness. You know, I, I think about that kind of faith. And I think about those kind of steps that people have taken before us, not just around the world, but right here in this church over 189 years of our story together that we are now stepping into. And, and I get it. I get how easy it can be for following Jesus to kind of just slip into settling, slip into a kind of a casual commitment, a comfortable kind of faith that just... You know, as we kind of start to examine it, it just doesn't seem like it really costs us anything. It doesn't really, you know, cramp our style anymore. And it's just kind of like that becomes the, the higher value. But I think when we step back and we all think about it, I think we know that Jesus didn't come to make us 
cozy and comfortable, that we serve a God who did whatever it takes. He sent his one and only son who would then give his life so that we could be given the gift. of Like, like he died and shed his blood on the cross so that the world might know the story of what he had did and what he has done for them. And so I'm just kind of throwing this out there um, because it's important and I'm just gonna be kind of frank about this. I hear people say all the time how much they love this church. Uh, and I do too. I, I hear how people love you know, the worship and you know, we've got so many pastors who can, who can bring the word and preach and just I hear how people love how this church is a, is a place where we are committed to being kind of this outpost of hope and healing, whether it's through our Club 305 after school program or our outreach, the cafe ministry or the arts academy and how it's not just a place where it's like, hey, come to us and see what we do, but we're a kind of church that gets outside of the walls and goes to other places when it comes to our kind of chaplaincy ministry and the hospitals and various medical centers and you know the idea of how we're actually chaplains in Parsons and the way that we're able to partner with them and how we go not just in our own community but also to you know the whole country with 150 50 churches that we represent with the DHF network and you know globally with Kenya and Asia and, and all of that. And I mean, I love these things too and, and I love hearing what you all love about where we're headed as a church. You, you love how we're gonna have a ministry residency center to train up future ministry leaders and this idea of putting you know, church locations in every assisted living center in our community and you know, this idea of like we're gonna really step into the mental health space, not really knowing fully what that is but knowing that that's a really important thing for you know, the church to be on the front lines of. And I, I say this because I get excited about it too, and I'm, I'm thankful to be a part of a church that's a part of these kinds of things, but can I just say, it's, it's possible to kind of say all of these things from kind of like a, kind of like a sitting on the sidelines approach, like, like more uh, as a fan than actually a competitor on the field. And I'm just not sure that God is honored by people just being excited about things that God is up to. I'm not sure that God can really, really work in us and through us by just applauding or being associated with his work. And so I'm just kind of putting it out there that maybe some of us, not intentionally, but we just find ourselves having kind of settled in Haran. You know, we kind of look around and we realize that we've just stalled out and we've gotten stuck in our journey. And in fairness, Abram was there too. Abram was there too, he, was, he had settled with his dad, he had settled there, but the reason we're still reading about Abraham today is because he didn't stay there. As it goes on in chapter 12, you know, God says go, and then what do we read? Verse four, it says that Abram, he obeyed, he listened, he went. Abram went as the Lord had told him. He went as the Lord had told him, and so, all we're asking, all we're wondering is what would happen around here to the question, am I really following God? Like if every one of us took that question seriously, if everyone just answered the question that God is asking us and took his hand and went where he led and followed where he was leading us, like what could happen if we just as a church, yes as individuals, but then never as individuals, always collectively just did what he told us to do? What might he wanna do, not just in us, but through us? You know, as I think about these kinds of stories, um, 
Think about the story of the Boland family here in the life of our church who, they don't do this perfectly, they wouldn't say, but uh, just want you to kind of lean in as you hear their story of how they have strived to say yes to God in every area of their life as they have put, you could say, their hand in his as he leads them. And so be encouraged as you hear the story of the Boland family here today. Coming to first after some significant church hurt has actually just been refreshing. FCC has given us a place to sit and to be fed. We needed that time to land somewhere and be cared for and to just be fed for a good minute. We got years of just that, and it was beautiful to have a church that was just taking care of us when we were so used to just emptying our cups for the church and for people. And then there was that moment where God's like, okay, I can remember specific days where God was like, you're forgiving them for that. And it's time to move on from that. And the release that I had, that God was able to speak to me and let that go wholesale and repair us, repair relationships with others that I was borderline worried would not ever be healed or fixed. When I think about how this church is as much about Sunday afternoon through Saturday as much as it is about Sunday morning, that comes from a passion for Jesus and what Jesus is about. And I think that same word then bleeds over, right? That there's such a passion for the people of Decatur. There's such a passion for meeting needs that we have the ability to meet, especially with what comes with having a congregation this size and some of those resources. The good stewardship of what we've been given all comes from the fact that this church has their eyes focused passionately on Jesus and what he's actually about. Everything I have, none of it's mine. I have the house that I have, I have the car that I have, I have the husband that I have, I have the children that I have because of God. And there's nothing that I have done to deserve that. And so knowing that I have those things, it's so humbling, but then it also reminds me that I gotta give it all. Like I've gotta give it all to him because it's all his to begin with. The first thing you have to realize is just how generous God has already been to you. We've had points in our life where we didn't have as much or maybe things weren't as easy. Things sure were crazy with three little babies all at the same time in the middle of COVID. In those moments, you have to really stop yourself and realize that you've already been given so much. And if that doesn't relay into a spirit of wanting to be generous with your time, talent, and treasures in return, I think you're missing something about who Jesus is. When I hear whatever it takes, I think of radicalness. Whatever it takes, whatever the mission is, whatever you've been called to do, it's not going to look like the book says it's gonna look. Stepping outside of that box, stepping outside of what you've always thought was, and jumping into something that is a lot bigger and a lot better than what you've ever imagined. It's gonna be hard, but it's gonna be worth it. I hear say yes. I mean, truthfully, whatever it takes means whatever it takes. 
and that means saying yes to God. That means saying yes to God with my finances. It means saying yes to God with my time and my efforts and whatever it takes, whether it's at this church or elsewhere, means I'm not here to be served as much as I'm here to serve. I think what excites me about the future at first is that this church has bought into being comfortable with change because that means there's room for God to tell you what to do and you get to do it. I know that we have a place to serve and be served today and I know that there's gonna be even more ways to serve and be served in the future. I look at the insane amount of children in this church. In 10, 15 years, when these little ones have grown up and the things that they will think of and the things that they will come up with to reach the city of Decatur, that's what excites me, is this is clearly not a dying church. This is a growing, living, thriving church. And it's exciting for me to see how they're going to come up with ways to serve God and how they're going to reach out to this city and reach out to the least of these and make moves for the kingdom.